Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Here's what we're going to be talking about today on AOA, the ongoing trade issues with China and the possibilities of some other trade deals may be getting done. We'll talk with the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom. We'll find out uh, this latest with China and the setback, it would seem, in the ongoing trade war, what that means for moving U.S. meat into uh, that market. looks like they've shut everything down, and we'll just see what the, the word is on the ground there. Dan Hallstrom will check in with us. We're going to talk markets with Rich Morrison, analyst with Diversified Services, and we're going to talk about ongoing efforts in the battle against soybean cyst nematode. We'll talk with plant breeder from the University of Illinois, Dr. Brian Deers. But we're going to start things off with the news. Todd Neely from DTN joins us. Hi, Todd. How are you? Good, Mike. Glad to be here. You know, uh, it sounds like we're starting to already now hear some things out of Washington, out of the administration, about uh, the may need more of these market facilitation program payments uh, moving forward. So it it sounds like, uh, you know, this China situation, it's going to stretch out a while longer. Yeah, I think so, Mike. You know, just here in the past couple of days, we've seen a lot of uh, large shifts in this entire battle, you know. Uh, China apparently is moving to to uh, devalue its currency, and that's something that can obviously hurt American producers. Um, and also, you know, we heard yesterday that China has basically decided it wants to cut off all uh, ag imports into their country from the United States. And so, you know, we're talking about a market that uh, was greatly reduced for uh, U.S. producers anyway, um, you know, from 2017 to 2018, ag exports into China fell by more than 50 percent. Um, so it was already, it's already down to about 9.1 billion dollars. And uh, you know, here we are at a time where we keep hoping for an, an agreement to be struck, um, and then China takes the, takes us uh, even a bit farther. And so, um, you know, not sure where this is going to end, but we certainly need uh, you know something to change quite quite rapidly. Is you know, we lose that $9.1 billion in exports to China at this point in the game, and um, that's really, really a tough thing. Yeah, and when you hear USDA and the administration talk about the possible need of more payments in the future, yeah. that kind of that lets you know that things aren't looking real positive or optimistic on that trade front, because usually when, you know, when they make those uh, announcements about trade aid, then they say, well, you know, hopefully, or we think this will be it, there won't be any more than... Then they start talking about the need for more. So that kind of gives you a, a peek into where all this is at. Let's also look at uh, some action last week uh, in the Senate uh, concerning waters of the U.S. What happened there? Well, it was interesting, Mike. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing an ongoing effort by EPA to rewrite the WOTUS rule, uh, basically change the definition. Um, and there's been some thought that maybe, you know, that isn't going to be quite enough. You know, we saw under the Obama administration uh, the EPA came in and uh, wrote a, rewrote the WOTUS rule uh, and basically uh, sent agriculture into a, a real a real panic uh, with a lot of the definitions that were <clears throat> that were um, 
the Senate had, you know, Senator Ernst and Senator Braun had offered a bill last week that would basically codify uh, the new WOTUS definition. And so basically it would make it pretty much impossible by executive order or any other regulatory action to change the definition. Um, so essentially it's, it's this bill, if it passes, it would put kind of the power of, uh, of defining waters of the U.S. into the hands of Congress, which uh, essentially has equal power, you know, under the Constitution. And so uh, it would make it less, you know, less likely for a new administration, say, next year come in, uh, you know, and by executive fiat go through and, and change the rule again. So we'll see where this goes. Um, I don't really know at this point, you know, what kind of backing it has. Um, although I would suspect, you know, this has become a, a bipartisan issue, the WOTUS rule, uh, and so I suspect that, you know, it will have some support. Well, it's been a long, drawn-out uh, effort to try to get it yeah. changed, and we'll see uh, where it goes from here. Meanwhile, uh, what's the latest on the, the RFS battles? Well, uh, you know, we're kind of waiting to finalize the final volume uh, for this upcoming year. Uh, last week, there was a hearing held in, in Michigan uh, on the RFS volumes. Uh, while EPA, you know, they, they want to talk about the numbers that they've proposed. Uh, as we've seen now for two consecutive years in these, when these hearings come up, uh, ethanol agriculture industry um, officials come out, and they want to talk about small refinery waivers uh, and, and other issues. And so uh, you could tell by the tone of that hearing that, uh, you know, the ethanol and the ag industries aren't willing to let this waivers issue go with EPA just yet. And we're kind of waiting to hear more about, you know, possible changes to the waiver. They're ongoing to review at this point. And um, I don't think we're going to see anything from this particular, you know, latest rounds of RFS volumes in terms of changing waivers or anything like that. But um, we'll continue to follow it, see where it goes. Meanwhile, the economic uh, picture for ethanol and biodiesel uh, looks pretty bleak right now. Yeah, you know, last week uh, we had Pacific Ethanol and uh, one other company report earnings. It was ADM. Um, and both are reporting losses, uh, you know, pretty significant losses. I think uh, at this point, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, consolidation in the industry. We're already seeing some of that. Uh, there'll be other reports coming out. Uh, Green Plains, uh, they report their earnings yesterday, and they have an earnings call today. Uh, and I suspect that we're going to hear a lot more about uh, plants wanting to, you know, companies wanting to sell their plants, uh, you know, and a lot of other things. But yeah, it's it's quite difficult at the moment. I mean, we're seeing margins that are, you know, 40, 50 cents in the red, and um, you know, it's pretty hard to make any money with that kind of with that kind of performance. And meanwhile, as we circle back to where we began on the trade front, the, the trade war with China mm -hmm. really hurting the ethanol industry. Those exports to China that were happening right. and, and looked like they were going to grow would have really helped through this tough time. Yeah, that's a wild card, Mike. I mean, I think if, you know, trade with China is going to open up a lot of, you know, it's going to relieve a lot of concerns in agriculture, ethanol. Um, you know, certainly in ethanol, where we were, you know, we were poised to see significant growth into China. Um, the Chinese still need a lot of ethanol. You know, they don't produce enough to meet, uh, you know, their own mandates. They're, they're moving to an E20 mandate in China. Um, so at some point, uh, you know, cooler heads are going to have to prevail. China's going to make that mandate. Um, you know, they're going to have to get the ethanol, at least a good slug of it, from uh, the United States. 
Challenging times for sure. Todd, thanks for being with us. Good to talk to you. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Well, with the uh, ongoing trade war, in fact, the escalation of the trade war between the U.S. and China, where does that leave us as far as uh, being able to move meat products into that market? Looks like it's the things are pretty well shut down as far as their purchases of ag products right now. But what's going on behind the scenes and on the ground? We're going to talk with the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom. Also get his thoughts on the deal signed with the EU uh, for beef. That's coming up next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash our stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us now to discuss the latest round of market facilitation program payments is USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. I was looking at the production in that county, how that historical production uh, over several years, look at um, how that production uh, was being impacted by the trade, uh, both tariff and non-tariff barriers and coming up with a trade damage per county, being able to divide it by those acres of those qualifying crops in that county. And so you ended up with uh, an actual payment number. Uh, And it was obviously different from county to county, and I'm sure some folks would look across the county line and either are glad they don't have the neighbors or wish they had the neighbors, but there was a, a reason both for the county payment mechanism as well as how we ended up with the final payment that we did in each county. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. 
A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we're going to talk some trade issues with the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom. Dan, thanks for joining us. Before we get to the situation with China, I want your thoughts on the the agreement reached between the U.S. and the EU to allow more beef into the European Union. What's the significance of that agreement? Well, good morning, Mike. Thank you. Uh, yes, I think uh, I think there's several levels of significance with this uh, beef agreement with the EU. Um, number one is that uh, it is one of our highest value destinations for U.S. beef on a per pound basis. And uh, what we've been struggling with the last couple of years is that uh, the quota has been overutilized. And, you know, this, this duty-free quota was originally intended for the U.S. as a result of the hormone dispute going back for decades. And we, we saw uh, Australia in particular getting more and more share. So this quota was being allocated quarterly, and it was exhausted before we got through two or three weeks of the quarterly uh, allocation, which really just disrupted the supply chain. So the fact that we're able to, to secure this quota for the U.S. only um, it starts out at 18,500 tons and over seven years goes to 35,000 tons. In essence, what this does is assures our packers and our and our customers, more importantly in Europe, that they will get uh, chilled beef delivered to them every week throughout the entire 12-week quarterly period. So uh, this is a success on a lot of levels, uh, but I think in particular the fact that we can now grow this share from where it was. And, and really what the most we've done before was... So there's a lot of room for growth. So it, it's exciting, to say the least. Do we have confidence that EU will live up to this? Uh, what's the enforcement part of this? Well, I think um, this was the second to last step. The U.S. signing the, uh, the, the documents, which happened last Friday at the White House. And then the very last step uh, that's required is that, that the EU Parliament, um, you know, the Congressional Parliament, which which is expected to happen. Um, we're hoping it happens uh, sooner rather than later this fall. And, uh, you know, once it is, is signed and, and passed, uh, then, then we're expecting uh, uh, implementation. And we're it's hard to say exactly when the implementation will be, but at this point I'd say uh, we're looking at probably something like the 1st of January of 2020. And CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. All right, Dan, it looks like uh, we've taken another step back in the uh, ongoing trade talks with China. With the latest uh, announcements that we have and the moves that uh, have been made, where does that leave us as far as the prospects of moving meat products into that market? Well, I think yeah, a lot has happened since late last week uh, on the China front, and uh, I think Quite honestly, Mike, we're we're still trying to to figure out exactly what is going on and what is not going on. I think at this point, in, on the China side, from our team over in China, uh, there's not a lot of clarity yet. Uh, there's a lot of rumors, um, you know, you know, rumors that ranging all the way up to no more purchases, purchase of ag products, and I'm not so sure we believe that that's 
truly the case, and uh, we're still trying to dig through uh, and finding out what the real facts are. But uh, one thing I would like to share with the audience is that if you look at uh, on the demand side on pork, uh, in the month of June, trade stats just came out. Uh, we had a 50,000-ton month of shipments of pork to China in June, and that compares to about 28,000 tons from a year ago. So I think we are starting to see the demand side uh, come through, uh, as as we suspected it would at some point with the expected uh, shortage uh, coming around later this year in China. So the demand side appears to be coming to fruition and of course you know there's politics aside you know that should continue but um you know i I think the prospects for continued business are good uh we would hope that uh cooler heads will prevail on this whole uh you know discussion on tariffs and duties and imports and all this but i I think from a demand standpoint uh the china market is going to need uh protein and uh, it's got to come from somewhere and the u.s is very well positioned to supply it and Kind of back to your earlier comment on what may really be happening. Sometimes just a public report or a statement made by a, an official, in this case saying, you know, we're reading these headlines, China stops all ag purchase, all pro, uh, purchases of our ag products. But that doesn't mean there isn't something still going on, right? That there aren't still, there isn't still some movement going on there. Exactly right. Yeah. The- the, the supply chain is not not a simple one uh, on, on on ag products. So it, it, it's quite uh, there's several steps to it. And yeah, I, like I said, it's going to take some time to really decipher what this does, or more importantly, doesn't mean. And uh, you know that's why I kind of go back to the demand side. Uh, in the end, demand drives business, and uh, and we're we're pretty certain there's some pretty solid demand. Uh, not only today, but more importantly, later in the year, coming from China. So uh, we'll watch it closely. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't read too much into these headlines saying that there's no ag purchases planned. Uh, you know, we're, we're not convinced that that's the case. On the protein side, will that demand be so large that they'll have to fu- have to come to the U.S. for some or need to come to the U.S. some? I mean, is there, can they get it from other suppliers? Yeah, I think uh, I think this situation is such it's a big enough uh, delta or a big enough uh, potential shortage that they're going to be buying from the world. Um, the question is, to what degree will it be U.S. versus other choices? So yes, they, there's a lot of other choices uh, on pork. The EU is a big competitor on beef. Of course, Australia is a big competitor. Um, but I think the reality is that this void in terms of total protein is, is so big that everyone's going to benefit in some way, shape, or form. It's just to what degree. And uh, so, yeah, to answer your question, I think, I think the U.S. benefits, uh, no matter how, what scenario you look at, uh, you know, we have duties today. Will, will duties be lifted? There's a lot of rumors. or will, you know, It's all over the board. But, but I think it suffices to say that... Uh, they're going to have to buy um, from from virtually everywhere to uh, make up, uh, um, you know, a lot. Of, I don't think they can make up the whole gap, but to make up a lot of the gap, they're going to have to buy from a lot of supply sources. Is the deal with Japan still on track? Everything we hear is that there's a lot of momentum there. Yes, and uh, I would say it is on track. Um, 
there was meetings in Japan, or I'm sorry, in D.C. last last week with the Japanese, uh, with Ambassador Lighthizer and Motegi-san from Japan. And we know there's a G7 meeting later this month uh, that uh, President Trump and Abe-san will be meeting there. So, yeah, there's there's we believe they're on track, and there's... Uh, there's planned uh, meetings in the future or opportunities for meetings in the future. So, yeah, we, we believe that momentum is on track, and hopefully it will continue. And what could that mean for uh, the livestock sector in this country as far as what we could sell, what more we could sell into Japan? Well, we're, it's our number one value market for both beef and pork. And you're, you're talking about $3.7 billion a year today. Um, that, that's last year's numbers. And we're basically even so far year to date, um, with that. And that's with, as we've talked on previous shows, we, we have severe headwinds. Um, beef is the best example. We're at a 12% duty disadvantage, uh, versus the Australians on import. We go in at 38.5%. The Australians are coming in, depending on the product. HS code, you know, around 27%, 26.5%. And that spread widens every year. So um, you're talking about record sales right now with headwinds. So, yeah, the ability to grow our number one share market is uh, it's not infinite, but, you know, to get 10, 20, 30% growth off an already uh, record large market is definitely a, a possibility. And, uh, all the more reason uh, we need a you know a, an ag agreement sooner rather than later. It'll benefit everybody, and not only in the beef and pork industries, but the feedstuffs as well. Corn and soybean industries are, are very much uh, uh, beneficiaries of the Japan uh, demand as well. Yeah, we always talk about the the goal of getting a level playing field, and uh, uh, there's another example where we don't have one and the great potential we'd have if we did have one, and hopefully this deal will help us get there or at least get closer. Dan, always good to talk with you. Thanks uh, for your thoughts on all these issues. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Mike. Thank you. Take care. President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom. Well, lots of news on the trade front. How do the markets react to all this? Plus, crop conditions as well. Rich Morrison. Analyst with Diversified Services joins us next as we head towards that big crop report next week. We'll get his thoughts on the market. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. 
Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Worries are mounting as confirmation came yesterday from the Chinese government that it would halt U.S. agricultural purchases in retaliation to 10% tariff threats on $300 billion of Chinese goods. Grain futures mostly lower in the overnight trade. Zippy Duval, a Georgia farmer and head of the American Farm Bureau, saying China's suspension of U.S. farm purchases is a body blow to U.S. farmers and ranchers. Soybean futures at their lowest level since May may be due for a bit of a bounce. We're near unchanged an hour into the day. November steady at 868 and three quarters of a cent. We see support at 854 and a half on that November contract. December corn climbed in a bullish outside day on Monday. Minus signs, though, on a Tuesday. A minor low said to be forming at last week's low at 397 and a quarter. An hour in on Tuesday, December at 411 and a half, down three and a quarter. In the wheats, Chicago September down a nickel at 489 and a half. Kansas City September down seven and a quarter at 419 and a half. Minneapolis Spring Wheat September down three quarters of a cent at 523 and three quarters of a cent. For livestock, the Merck, the late day rally on Monday, creating some optimism, according to the wire talk. August live cattle up 22 cents at 108.02, October at 107.62, that's up 25. Feeder cattle, August contract up 32 at 140.85. Activity in cash cattle country could be sluggish today. Bids and asking prices may not be available through much of the day. In lean hog futures, the August contract up 42 at 78.27, October up 45, 67.87. The Dow up 109 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Let's talk markets with Rich Morrison, analyst with Diversified Services. Rich, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you, Mike. I was just thinking you have you have the trade news pulling the markets one way, and you have crop concerns pulling the markets another way. Which is pulling the hardest? Well, yesterday it was certainly the trade. Uh, it was a risk-off day in commodities and stocks, just about every risk asset in general, uh, 
NASCAR risk off trade, at least for the first half of the session yesterday. Uh, we did get some positive uh, chart movement in the corn market, especially yesterday, a uh, bit of a reversal trade, and yet we're not able to follow through on it today. So uh, I think we're back to maybe uh, trading what we think the report might say next Monday, and uh, that's uh, kind of where we're at at the moment anyway. Yeah, everybody will be watching Monday's report. What are you expecting there? What do you think USDA is going to say? I'm I'm a little more uh, negative towards the uh, the numbers, I guess. I, I think that the yield ought to be down a little bit. I don't know if they'll make that change in this report or not. I think this one's going to be mostly a focus on acres. Uh, I think USDA already had come out and said that they were not going to be doing surveys for the August report. So we probably won't see too many yield changes until we get to September. But I do think that uh, the acreage number is going to be huge. Uh, we've seen a couple of the major analysts come out using similar numbers to what USDA had back in July. Um, I'm thinking we're going to be down around 80 million harvested acres. And, and I've been telling folks that, you know, the planted acreage number is one thing. Uh, you can put a lot into that. But I think at the end of the day, the only number that really matters is harvested acres. And mm-hmm. I think we're anywhere from, I think, 83 to 6 is the high guess that I've seen. And I'm down to 80 million, so I, I think that uh, at the end of the day, we're going to have less acres, and and therefore maybe more focus on yield. Yeah, and that focus starting to shift to weather concerns and uh, the potential in some areas uh, that seem to be very good for to have a good crop, not a great crop, but now those areas are uh, certainly under stress. I've seen a lot of that across the Corn Belt, Uh, you know, other than eastern Kansas, which has had quite a bit of rain over the last uh, uh, week or two, uh, and and maybe parts of the Dakotas, it seems pretty shaky as you you go east, I guess. Uh, We've gone from flooding to flash drought fairly quickly east of the Mississippi River. We're talking with Rich Morrison with uh, Diversified Services. Rich, uh, it, I guess it just depends on your point of view, if you're a buyer or seller. But we can we seem to be kind of caught in this right now that uh, those are what we would look to sell to are saying our prices are too high, while farmers are are say, looking at their crops and, and saying, why aren't uh, prices higher than they are? Uh, yeah, and, and when you look at the balance sheet, that's why this August report is going to be such a big deal, because the balance sheet, we're likely to see just about every number on that balance sheet change. Uh, I think given our export pace right now, uh, it's likely USDA will cut the uh, corn export numbers especially, probably some beans as well. Uh, so that will offset some of the drop in the yield and or acreage. So uh, it, it's going to be extremely interesting to see how many numbers they change. But it wouldn't be a shock to see just about every number on that balance sheet change in this August report. And we're already now hearing the administration officials start talking about maybe the need for more trade aid moving forward. Uh, that can't be reassuring to the markets about any kind of a big deal with China anytime soon. No, I, I think at this point, I think that's where, you know, we've been, what, uh, well over a year now into the trade war. And I think it's finally dawning on a lot of us that uh, we may not get a trade deal done. And uh, so the next step is where do we go from there? Where do we what do we do for demand, uh, and what do we do to keep this whole thing put together in the meantime? Of course, China's, you know, part of their their talk is coming from a point where they've had this African swine fever, and, and they don't need the uh, uh, the amount of soybeans that they normally would. So 
so they've got a little bit better bargaining position from that standpoint. Uh, you know, we kind of thought going into this thing that they were going to need a lot of U.S. soybeans, and with the size of the South American crops, that's just not played out that way. But they're going to need protein. We just talked with the uh, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. He says, you know, that is pent-up demand that's growing there that they're going to need, and they're going to look to a lot of buyers perhaps around the world, but it would seem to be such a big demand that the, the U.S. is probably going to get something out of there, it would seem. Uh, so that will have an impact. I would think that's the case, too. I would think that uh, from a from a feed, feeding standpoint that uh, hogs uh, should stay uh, – uh, in well, in good demand, and of course that takes a little time to work uh, work soybean meal through the process and, and create a bullish bean market. But uh, but I would certainly think that that ought to be fairly bullish to the hog market going forward. We're talking with Rich Morrison with Diversified Services. Rich, as you've talked with farmers uh, about marketing plans this year, uh, I would think it's always challenging. But I would think at a year like this. Uh, Knowing how much to market, you know, go ahead and sell. Uh, not knowing what you've got out there, uh, it has to be really hard this year. Well, it definitely is, and kind of like I've, I've told you a few times, I think this year is made. Uh, it, it's a poster child for using options uh, because we just don't know from week to week what's going to happen to change the market. Uh, we, we think we're trading a fundamental market. We think we're trading a, a crop and a weather market. But then you throw in the Chinese trade uh, uh, situation, and all of a sudden a, a tweet or two can change the market uh, overnight. And so, uh, you know, we've seen the corn market, you know, 50, well, 60-plus cents off the highs now. So, you know, when you're looking at spending 10, 15 cents on a call option, uh, it's pretty cheap compared to the 50, 60 cents that we've given up in the market this summer so far. So I, I think it's uh, it, it's a market that's made for using options to defend sales to help you make sales and and we continue to want to do that going forward now we talked about the big report next week but overall are traders just taking a wait and see approach uh uh i mean even if they realize the the crop's going to be down in size it seems like it's like the market's just kind of waiting to see how far down or how much less it might be i i think that's true we we had I exhausted the acreage rally, I guess, back in, in really in June. Uh, that mark, that rally had, you know, really had played out. And so I think our next potential move is on, uh, uh, on production. But this, uh, you know, we haven't really been able to trade much in production because we've been focused a lot on the trade side of things. So, uh, I think going forward, uh, each of these crop reports is going to mean a little bit more. Uh, we'll get USDA's take on the crops, uh, course as you get into september we'll get a lot of the other crop tours and start getting some more of that information out and uh but you know the volatility in this market uh is, is really shrunken uh from where we were back in the acreage rally and and i guess maybe that's to be expected as a little bit more gets known uh every day as far as what the crop's going to look like and waiting for harvest We'll be waiting even longer this year because late as the harvest is going to be and, and, and as uh, stretched out as it's going to be. So what's your best take on what we're going to see corn and bean prices do here over the next couple months? Well, if you'd asked me a month ago, I would have thought we had a good shot at going back and testing the highs in the corn market. Uh, given where we're at today, I, I think that's going to be difficult to do. Uh, but it wouldn't be uh, out, you know, too far out in left field to say that we could make a run back at 450 beef corn given a certain you know, set of circumstances. 
circumstances, if the crop size comes down, if demand is still holding in there, uh, you know, it wouldn't be uh, a shock to see us go do that. It may take a while to get that done. Uh, soybeans, uh, you know, we always wait till the month of August to make the bean crop, and uh, this year it might even be a little bit later than that. So uh, we'll start to watch harvest weather a little bit more maybe on soybeans and uh, there's already been a little discussion about the potential for an early frost or even a normal frost what impact it would have on some of these crops so uh, i would tend to think that uh, you know i've been of the opinion that anything with a nine in front of it this year on november beans is probably not a bad sale and and we're 30 some cents away from that today but i think that would be a, a reasonable target uh, if we get a little weather boost again uh, in the soybean market and what about the wheat market uh, the wheat market, I think, is just going to follow corn. Uh, I really do at this point. I don't think there's enough uh, from a world production standpoint to uh, to drive wheat much higher. We had a nice rally back in the spring. Uh, a lot of that was driven early summer, partly on Russian crops and, uh, and the European crops uh, with some heat. Uh, that's kind of gone by the wayside, and I think wheat's just back to following the corn market right now. So, uh, you know, I think if... Uh, if you get Chicago wheat up in the fives, uh, probably not a bad place to be doing some hedging. Uh, in Kansas City, wheat around four and a half, probably not a bad place to be getting some hedging done. All right, so we wait for Monday and that uh, and that crop report. And as you said, uh, that's going to tell us more about acres than anything, right? I think so. That's the big deal. We've got the resurvey of the 14 states uh, that USDA is doing. Uh, we will get the inclusion of most FSA-certified data. Uh, we'll get the inclusion of most crop insurance uh, uh, records that will have been uh, turned in by then. So USDA has a lot of information at its hands uh, to be able to make some adjustments to these acreage numbers. And like I mentioned at the beginning, some of the, the bigger analysts didn't really make many changes to their numbers on acres, if any. But uh, I would certainly think that we could see some in this report. All right, we will soon see. Rich, always good to talk with you. Thank you very much. You bet. Thank you, Mike. Uh Uh-huh. Rich Morris, an analyst with Diversified Services. Coming up next, the ongoing battle with soybean cyst nematode. We're going to talk with a plant breeder from the University of Illinois, Dr. Brian Deers. Uh, Take a look at what's going on as far as developing resistant varieties to SCN. That's next. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. 
If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us now is Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for being with us. Let's start right off with EPA Administrator Wheeler's defense of their granting of these small refinery exemptions and claiming that those waivers are not harming and have not harmed ethanol demand. How do you respond to that? We've been seeing reports this week that uh, Administrator Wheeler met with six senators from farm states last week, uh, senators that we would consider uh, friendly to to our industry and, and champions for the RFS. Reportedly, Administrator Wheeler told them, these exemptions that we've been handing out aren't having any impacts on biofuel blending and are not negatively impacting uh, renewable fuel producers and, and, and our industry, the ethanol industry. And, and we think that is just outright ludicrous. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain, and you held on to them just in case. 
But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's get an update on the ongoing battle with soybean cyst nematode. Joining us now is University of Illinois plant breeder, Dr. Brian Deers. Brian, thanks for joining us. I was just thinking in this year with all the crop production challenges, some more obvious than others. I mean, when you have floods and then drought, I mean, those are very obvious. SCN is another challenge, a profit robber, a yield robber that uh, sometimes flies under the radar, just not as obvious, not as uh, easily seen uh, as a, a weather event. That's absolutely correct. Um, here, here in Illinois, where we have very good soils, we often will have losses from SCN, and people won't, won't see any above-ground symptoms. The plants will look very healthy but yet there'll be losses due to SCN. Let's talk about uh, some of the checkoff funded research that's going on to try to, to improve and add uh, some, uh, you know, more sources, more options when it comes to SCN resistance. Yeah, so this is something that we've been working on for a long time and many other researchers have been working on. So most of the varieties, for example, that are sold in Illinois have SCN resistance. So if you look on the bag, it says it has SCN resistance. Unfortunately, the vast majority of the varieties, over like 97% in Illinois, have resistance only from one source, and that source is called PI-88788. It's a great source of resistance, but, you know, as we've seen with other systems like um, Roundup, you don't want to just depend on one source to control your problems. Um, and what we're seeing is that over time, the nematodes are, are becoming more and more able to overcome that source of resistance. So what we're working on is developing other types of resistance by adding new genes into the system. And how much progress are you making on that? Oh, we've been working on it for a long time, and other people have been working on it as well. And there are new sources of resistance that, that are available in varieties. Uh, we've been working actually on um, a source of resistance from wild soybeans, so it's the non-domesticated soybeans. So what we were able to do was identify a couple genes from wild soybeans, and using breeding and genetic markers, we're able to basically incorporate those genes into domestic high-yielding soybeans. And we're combining those genes with other genes that give us a higher level of resistance. Brian, is SCN uh, a problem anywhere soybeans are grown, or is it isolated to certain areas? I mean, not absolutely every field um, has SCN, but most fields where people are growing um, soybeans, there's SCN present. For example, in Illinois, it has been identified in every county in the state. So, yeah, it's a very widespread problem. And one of the important things that farmers need to do is understand 
what the problem is for SEN. And what you can do is just take soil samples, send them to a testing lab, and they'll at least tell you whether or not SEN is present in the field. And they'll also tell you um, how big of a problem it is, you know, how, how many nematodes you have per 100 cc of soil. Because the challenge is something that's hard to detect you might not think you need to check for it because you don't see any visible signs uh, telling you you might have a problem. That's absolutely correct. And it's, it's, a, it's much more subtle than other problems. For example, I've worked on sclerotinia stem. And that's a disease that just hits you in the face. You see it so obvious in the field. And people may have very limited losses from sclerotinia, but yet they're worried about it because it's just so obvious. Whereas SEN is in almost every field causing yield losses, but people just don't recognize it. How great do you think the losses are? And, and keeping in mind that we're probably not attributing a lot of that loss to soybean cyst nematode. Yeah, yeah. And so um, plant pathologists and nematologists actually do some estimates of yield loss for various diseases in soybeans. And it has come out, SEN has come up as basically the most important cause of yield loss for any diseases or pests. And I think it's, it's been listed as causing up to a billion dollars in losses annually. Mm. So it's a, wow. it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And, you know, farmers need to make sure that they know whether or not the nematodes are present in the field, and if they are present, be sure to grow resistant varieties. And if you can you talk... identify, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, and if you can grow varieties that have different sources of resistance. Unfortunately, it's mostly the 88788, but there are getting to be more varieties with alternative sources of resistance. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask. Is this is this something that can be eliminated, or will it? the evolution of the nematode be such that we're always having to uh, uh, find more to de- uh, to fight the nematode? Yeah, I mean, once once nematodes are present in the field, it's, it's next to impossible to eliminate them. So it's something mm-hmm. you just need to manage. And you need to manage it by monitoring um, the level of infestation in the field by taking soil samples, um, and then making sure you grow resistant varieties, grow different varieties that have resistance, and optimally grow varieties that have different sources of resistance. So it's not just something that you think you could try to address one year and think it's solved, it's gone. It, it's going to be an ongoing uh, challenge. Ab- absolutely. As long as you're growing soybeans, it's something you're going to need to think about and make sure that you, you, you manage just like weeds, uh, yeah. right? You've never eliminate right. weeds in your field. Yeah, that's a good comparison, and management is the key word there. Make it part of your management plan. All right, Ryan, good to talk with you again. Thank you for the update. Uh, thank you for having me on. All right, take care. That is uh, Dr. Brian Deers. He is a plant breeder at the University of Illinois. An update on the on the battle with soybean cyst nematode. All right, with that, we'll wrap things up for today. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow. Anytime uh, you hear something you want to comment on or something uh, that you'd like for us to maybe cover, email me, mikeadams at americanagnetwork.com. Been getting a lot of emails from uh, listeners uh, around the country. Always good to hear from you. Thanks for being with us. Have a great day. You're listening to AOA.
Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it, but only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids, parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors, waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patient's need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council.